listeners of the Mad Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cogswell, here this week, joined by a special guest. Besides Marie Mayhew, the co-host, we have... Yeah, we're excited. Jake, the sound editor. Jake Cardinal. How you doing, man? Hello. Good, good, Chris. How are you doing? Doing so great. Oh, my God. I can't believe you're on the show. I'm so excited. I'm finally on the show. I know. I was just saying that I thought that Jake might be imaginary for, I don't know, the last three years. Because <laughs> you would just scream, Jake, just edit from here. And I would be like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, because, I mean, you know, it just seemed like he was me. Well, all right, then. <laughs> all right, Jake's just going to pick it up magically from there. Here I go. And voila, he's real. I'm usually the one in the background cutting out every burp, fart, and awkward silence, and now... Dear listeners, you finally get to hear what I sound like. So sorry for you. <laughs> and now you get to now you get to experience those in first hand. There's nothing. Aww. There's nothing quite like. Um, there's nothing quite like having to hand off the uh, terribly embarrassing task of please edit out the the <laughs> mouth noises that I seem to make at all turns to another person. And Jake, we're very glad that it's you to be doing this for us. Oh, I have fun with it. So, uh, so we oh, wanted. God, I'm dying. <laughs> it's just like it's like Jake is like the shadow. He like knows everything, right? He's got all this like all of our raw data. I feel like it's, oh it's yeah, like, it's oh this is good stuff. Truly, I'm like I'm the most powerful person in this whole podcast because what he the is, listeners he hear is truly is. just up to me at the end of the day. It's completely <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> he could it really he is. Can make up whole episodes on his own now at this point. He's got words that we've said. You can just splice them all together. He could be deep faking this entire thing. Oh, yeah. You know how many times Chris has said, I eat farts? Oh, my God. No. No. <laughs> I'd probably my have great. a dozen or so clips of him saying that. My great, I think, my great nightmare. I think that this is the problem. This is like the, we could have deep fakes out there of us, you know. Oh, Lord. Oh, I should definitely. I'm going to put together a deep fake. That would actually oh, be God, that straight would be really hilarious. Great. I would actually love that. <laughs> if we had any shame, it probably would be bad. <laughs> it probably would. Um, so, listeners, we wanted Jake to come on the show today to discuss the hot topic in everyone's mind. Kanye West and Taylor Swift are fighting again. Um, oh, no. oh, God. There's nothing else happening in the world. No, Jake, explain e- explain a little bit, Jake, why we wanted to have you on. Besides the fact that you, you know, you're the you're the silent third part of this podcast, and we wanted to finally give you a voice. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, so while I do have a lot of fun doing um, sound editing and uh, and stuff like that, um, I actually work in um, virology. And so last episode, when you guys were talking about the coronavirus and you sort of hand waved decades of um, (laughs) biochemistry research, um, uh, as I was listening, I said, oh, I could probably, you know, provide some uh, some additional uh, insight on that. And I will give the um, uh, disclosure that I myself am not a virologist uh, in any capacity, but I do work. Uh, alongside a lot of very, very smart virologists in my company. Uh, My own background is, uh, like Chris's, in chemical engineering. In fact, we met at Northeastern University, where he was doing his PhD studies, and I was washing his dishes as an undergrad researcher. Um, But yeah, I thought that I had, you know, maybe some uh, additional information, uh, and thought that I would give them to you in a Word doc, uh, and then you asked me to, to come on, so here I am. Yeah, it's- Thank God, because I do think we did a, 
a, a good portion of hand waving over some of those things. Oh my god, are you kidding me? I hardly know what a virus <laughs> is. Um, it's uh, we're so lucky to have you come on, man. It's yes, it's truly Thank crazy. You. So, what what I kind of thought we would do first off is actually just kind of go over the um, I guess first off, go over give us a little bit of background of what a virus is and how it works. Let's start there. Sure. Um, it's, it's pretty quick and easy. Uh, it's a, um, an infectious particle made up of, um, nucleic acids surrounded by proteins. Um, and there is some debate in the world of biology, whether or not to classify it as a living thing, because it's really just it's proteins and it's DNA inside. That's it. And so viruses cannot survive or multiply without a host cell because they can't produce energy on their own, um, and they need to infect a host cell and take over the um, metabolic pathways and, and cellular machinery within a, uh, a host cell to be able to uh, really do anything that defines a, uh, a living thing. Mm, okay. So essentially, essentially, it is, and that's kind of the part of the process, I think, last week that we kind of hand-waved pretty hard, was <laughs> the actual process of... Uh, of a host's person getting coronavirus and then what happens, um, we basically said, you know, so it, mm-hmm. it disrupts, um, it disrupts, it disrupts cellular metabolism so that we didn't even say it in this complicated of a way. I've just been educated since our last episode. Um, but basically it, it disrupts the way that the cell would normally behave by hijacking the cell's own um, structure. Right. And so the cell begins to instead create more clones of the coronavirus uh, itself, the, mm. the, the kind of coronavirus, you know, uh, agent. And then eventually that growth occurs to such an extent that the next thing it tells the cell to do is, well, die, right? Like you die, the cell will slough away, and then you're kind of left with a buttload more coronavirus in your body that then can go to other cells, and so eventually the ultimate damage then is what? So your body does take some time to uh, develop antibodies to a virus, which is the most effective uh, way to neutralize a virus as it's uh, circulating. Uh, and so when you first are exposed, a virus will take over maybe a cell or two, and then you will have exponential uh, growth in the number of cells that are infected until your immune system can really effectively take over. And so what happens is you end up getting these big regions of tissue that are affected that are um, not performing the functions that they are supposed to be functioning. Uh, as In addition to that, you have, once the immune system does kick in, it will sort of attack those infected cells to try to destroy them and the viruses within. And so your actual like illness or symptoms that you get from any viral infection are due to the regions of tissues that are not functioning properly and then the sort of side effects of the immune response. Oh my god. So, question, why is it that certain people don't have any um they're just carriers. They don't have any symptoms versus others. How does how does the virus affect them differently or does it? Um, and again, I'll, I'll reiterate that I'm not a virologist myself and I just work in a company that actually produces them. Answer our questions, <laughs> Jake! God! Um, so nice, that was a nice dodge. I am. <laughs> in, allegedly. Allegedly. Um, allegedly. <laughs> I would imagine that is, you yeah. just have a stronger, um, 
immune reaction to the cells that are infected. Um, but yeah, I guess I'm not sure. I'm probably going to cut this question out. No <laughs> Solid. Oh, one of the oh, one of the oh, one of the chick. one of the funniest <laughs> things actually is when reading about when reading about coronavirus. Um, you know, they a lot of the literature out there and a lot of the news coverage and everything else focuses on you know well. If you have a weakened immune system, you're you know you you will get you'll you'll you're more likely to be damaged by this in some way. Yet on the other hand, things come out that say, well, actually, it's the immune system's response itself that is almost the dangerous part of this, right? That it's the immune system itself, like obviously the coronavirus killing off those say let's say like lung cells, killing off the lung cells um, as it replicates, that is in itself dangerous. But then a new stage of danger occurs when the immune system starts to attack the virus cells um, and, you know, you have kind of indiscriminate um, attacking, basically. Yeah. So the um, the immune system can be hugely destructive and an immune response uh, should be a balance of this destructive power and then knowing when to back off. Um, and so uh immune cells communicate to each other via these small proteins called cytokines which coordinate the body's response to different infections and some viruses like the coronavirus and also things like the flu uh can create what's called a cytokine storm which is basically the immune system going into complete overdrive and so during an infection uh more and more immune cells are activated by this uh this uncontrolled release of cytokines which um eventually leads to hyperinflammation and this can cause death. It's interesting to me. I would imagine because of kind of like the kinetics of that reaction happening of kind of the playoff between like immune cell versus non-immune cell versus viral cell versus kind of each other that in some people, they just have like a perfectly weak immune system or a perfectly strong immune system or like there's any number of like, crazy things that could happen that would cause that I would imagine. Um, so, so go ahead, Marie. The, so the people you work with, are they at all staggered or is it sort of, is it staggering the rate that this thing is multiplying? Cause I mean, when I think of viruses and you hear about viruses, there's always sort of this, how fast does it replicate itself? How fast does it spread? And it seems like this has been, um, that, or that particular part of it has been especially uh, focused on. Right. And so there have been a lot of estimates lately about the actual um, uh, infection rate from, you know, mm-hmm. host to host. And so that's why we've been, you know, inundated over the past few weeks with um, information from a variety of sources talking about, you know, flattening the curve is what everyone's really calling it. Yes. And and really, yes. while we are waiting for a um, biological vaccine to be created, this really is acting as a sort of social vaccine, is uh, a way to think about it, I suppose. Um, because, uh, I mean, if we just run some numbers, right, um, there are a couple of estimates out there, but, you know, hypothetically speaking, if we had a uh, a baseline of... If one person was infected and mm-hmm. infected five every 10 days, so mm-hmm. within five days infected two and a half people, then by day 30, uh, 406 people would have um, contracted the disease because of that 
single person. Mm. By this sort of social distancing and flattening the curve, so to speak, if we were to mm-hmm. reduce the amount of initial exposure down by 50%, and that one person in five days infected 1.25, then by day 30, by a month in, only 15 people would have the, uh, the disease or would have uh, been exposed. And if we reduce that even further to 25% exposure compared to the original baseline, um, so in five days, 0.625 people have been exposed, then in 30 days, 2.5 people will have been exposed. So there's super significant reduction in cases that can be achieved by this sort of social distancing that's been recommended. Wow. And that's That was an excellent explanation of it, actually, because it makes sense, you know, hypothetically, when you just think about it, oh, I'm just going to stay in my house and stay away from other people. But when you actually put the numbers behind it, what it could jump to versus what you could mitigate it down to, it makes much more sense. Do you feel, and do, you know, hypothetically, again, since I don't want to get like, I don't want you to get into too many of the details about this, but like, do you feel that the FDA and sort of the um, waving or loosening of regulatory, um, of the regulatory standards for this type of testing or for this type of approval process, has that helped? Um, and do you think it was like, is it is it enough? Because it feels like just from what the very little I've seen of it, it's like, it's good that they're relaxing those policies, but it's almost too late to enact anything that's going to make an immediate difference, um, like within the short term that it feels like we need things by. And this is, on my side, it's more like for equipment. Like if they wanted to bring in equipment from, um, you know, something that they're using in China, that's been really effective in scanning, scanning and monitoring the disease during diagnosis phase, uh, it's... It's great that we could now bring that in, but it's almost too late to do it because to get it here in the amount that we would need it, it's it's just not going to happen. So one that that may be true. Um, I do think that the FDA is doing what it can to mm-hmm. um, to help in areas that it you know has control over. And while in some of those areas it might be you know. Uh, too late to really make a huge impact. There are other areas that I do think that um, changes can really uh, change the playing field. And so just last week, the FDA issued new guidance on um, how to conduct clinical trials during this time. Oh, yeah. And so mm-hmm. easing up on the uh, the path to actually approving a medicine, which I think is huge in, in releasing a any new medicine that could be used to to help this. So for listeners that aren't aware, um, any new medicine that is, you know, in development will go through um, a certain life cycle, which is you have your drug discovery. So you, um, you know, develop a new uh, molecule that will, you know, affect a a target, whether that be a symptom or a a prophylactic sort of approach. Um, You have a new, uh, we'll call it a candidate. And that goes through all of these um, studies in biological models. It goes through um, these uh, toxicology studies that show that it is likely to be safe in humans. And then it goes through three different um, clinical trials through the FDA. And so the first clinical trial of phase one usually uh, involves about 50 or so uh, healthy patients. 
and they receive the drug, and it is shown that the um, the drug is safe. There is then a phase two that involves a dose escalation to find out. So you have different cohorts of patients or different groups of patients that receive different dosages of this um, uh, investigational drug candidate that uh, shows how low of a dose can we provide and have it still be effective in doing what it's supposed to do. And then you have a large phase three clinical trial that um, involves a much wider uh, group of patients to truly get a good statistical model and a good statistical response. Um, I know that uh, myself, I work in uh, orphan diseases mostly, and with those, we only have to do two clinical trials um, because a lot of times there aren't that many patients in the world with the disease, and a lot of times these diseases will have no other alternative treatments out there, and the FDA is actually very interested in um, getting any treatment out there as soon as possible. And so the FDA is sometimes very good at, you know, helping push these along. Oh, yeah. No, I I mean, my point, too, is, is like I think the FDA is completely necessary and the amount of rigor that you have to have behind something like this for any type of medic medicine that's coming to market for general population, you have to have that amount of testing, right? You have to like, if I'm always amazed at the amount of stuff that they've actually approved that's out there in the world, you know, cause that's a lot and it's a lot of testing and it's a lot of things that, you know, that I think we take for granted that are relatively safe for us to use for certain things for certain conditions. Um, and it's just, it's, it's amazing to me that, um, um, I mean, again, it's like with certain things now, I think it's more like with, with the, the stuff that's needed or that we're think we're needing for more equipment or for more larger things. That's why I'm saying that it's like they have begun to relax the, um, the guidelines or the requirements for it. But it's, you know, again, it's just sort of the idea of getting the, the equipment from where it would need to be into production into the United States is, is questionable at this point. But I've got no beef with the FDA. See, but that's, but see <laughs> I kind of wonder, though, and yeah, we, Marie, we don't need the FDA coming after the show. We don't um, need the FDA coming after We don't, need that. We don't need that happening. Um, right? Being all like, this Jake character seems like he's been besmirching our good name what uh what i kind of don't understand i guess is or what i you know one thing that we've seen a lot of the and this isn't really just a this isn't really just i guess a question for jake this is more of a discussion for the group at this point um although we can interrogate jake further if you'd like um (laughs) anytime listeners ask us the the thing (laughs) one thing i'm wondering i guess is so like so, for example, a lot of scientific conferences, a lot of just public events, a lot of things that we do in that we do in person now that seems very unnecessary, I guess, in some way are being shifted to online or the way we do <laughs> things is being sort of it's it's weird. It's like an era. This is a time period, I feel like, where the importance of like institutions and the importance of kind of a robust government response and just a robust government robust government in general has kind of never been more clearly important like if there's ever a time you want to have a strong government it's when you have a pandemic like this or imagine you know a major national disaster um but at the same time it's really interesting that some of our 
it's really interesting to me that some of the ideas that we've had for responding to this is sort of deregulation of some areas, right? Like the FDA relaxing guidelines. I wonder if that doesn't eventually turn into, well, why was it so stringent to begin with? Do you know what I mean? Um, or is there a way, like it seems it, almost a silver lining, I suppose, from the, all of this might be kind of this streamlining and the making more accessible generally of processes, of services, of conferences, of of meeting methods, of of spaces, of things, of whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or just of work in, work in general. Like if, I think the fact that you're finding that you can actually work from home or work remote for X amount of the jobs out there in the world where before you actually had to go into an office is actually is a pretty big challenge to um you know to the corporate norm no but it's like seriously yeah, you yeah, know and like, that's good that's 100, good 100 yeah i mean it's kind of like a weird i always thought it was weird that i would get paid a lot of you know i mean i get paid um and it seemed like a lot of the time what i was getting paid for was just being a warm body in my seat they didn't care if i did work they just cared if i was there do you know what you I mean? Know, if, who's who are they going to manage? Who is who is a boss <laughs> or a upper level person going to manage if there's no one there? Right, but but, but right? now, I mean, but now I work perception. From, but now yeah. I work from home 100 percent of the time, and I've never had better management. You know what I mean? Like I've mm-hmm. never felt more um, capable of doing a job correctly and being creative and whatever and all this other stuff. And it's like, you know, you can work from home really successfully if you just are given the tools to do it adequately and it feels very much like you're saying like yeah you need to be you know you need to go into a lab or you need to go into a manufacturing plant or you need to go into a doctor's office or whatever to do those kinds of jobs but to enter numbers into an excel spreadsheet or calculate things or make sales or uh you know any number of other things do you really need to go to a centralized office in place and create congestion and spend money on rent and you know it's yeah. It's so weird. It's like it's weird to think what the world will the world will look like after this. I mean, out in Silicon Valley, that's been the way anyways. It's like remote workers have been almost the norm. I would say in the industry I'm in now, it's it was very much so the opposite. Like you go into work. You go into work and you are there. And now all of a sudden you're seeing um well actually we can do all this work from home. We can we can be almost more effective because we're, you know, responsible for our own timelines. We're not commuting. There's not the overhead cost, all this other stuff as well. And I think that a lot of that stuff is just challenging the old thinking. We're finally going to kill the business casual clothing industry. Oh, man. It's about time, too. Those khakis. or nothing. Those khakis. I know. That's what you guys are wearing right now, right? Everybody's in formal dress around the house. I always at least have on a cummerbund. Um, and so <laughs> with that, we're going to go into our first commercial break. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. 
life sucks as a grown up. All right, I think that was good enough. I, I hope so, man. I'm tired. <laughs> Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, I, I've never done it. <laughs> and we're back. And we're back. And we're back. And we're back. So, with Jake. It is definitely, as you were talking about earlier, Chris, it's super interesting how this sort of, I mean, it seems like a cliche now to call this unprecedented or anything like that, right? Like it um, feels kind of, I don't know, we hear that so much, but it, it kind of truly is. Um, and it's interesting how it is sort of elucidating which systems that have existed for um, however long they have that, you know, we have always sort of presumed to be, oh, you know, this is, you know, how things are, um, truly maybe aren't all that necessary and which ones truly are. Um, and I guess one uh, example from my own um, job, right, going back to, you know, how um, the FDA might be responding to this um, pandemic is that the um, uh, the ICH, which is the International Council for Harmonization of technical requirements for pharmaceuticals and uh, for human use, um, which determines, you know, sort of regulatory uh, restrictions and regulatory um, requirements on every aspect of drug manufacturing, drug uh, research, etc. Um, they have uh, thousands of different guidelines on how to. Um, manufacture or or discover or research drugs. And during this um, outbreak, they have for, I think, the first time, made all of them totally free. And so anyone who wants to do drug research right now can get thousands and thousands of guidance from this international council um, totally for free. And so it seems like, okay, um, why do they really need to be charging money for it before? Yeah, well, it's it's actually funny that you mentioned that we are getting a lot of that same question about um, conferences, you know, what I mean, about scientific mm. conferences, like big ones, big, essentially every single major scientific conference has been canceled or moved tentatively. And one thing that a lot of people are saying is, well, why the hell were we all going to like, like, it's fun. <laughs> it's super fun to go to mm -hmm. a city and get drunk with all your science friends, you know? But if the goal, but if if the goal of this is to spread information, why weren't we doing more of this um, online? You know, that that being said, however, I don't think the conference circuit will ever go away. Um, I hope it doesn't. Frankly, I think there's something really too. <laughs> I think there's. I really think there is something. He loves to getting drunk social. with his friends, folks. I do. With I his science buddies. No, but uh, like to be completely honest, though, I do think that there is something really lost in doing. Talking to someone face-to-face -face is so much more effective. You can teach people more effectively. All that stuff is more, much more easier in person, I think. I, I truly believe that. Absolutely. Um, and so there are some things like this that aren't going to be as effective. I, I don't, I kind of don't think no matter what, you know what I mean? Like, I don't care how good online classes become. I don't think that they will necessarily ever be as effective as in-person courses and I don't know why that is necessarily. And maybe that's just a knee jerk reaction I have. Um, and it's and maybe it's incorrect. Maybe that's an assumption I have that's not right. But getting back to your larger point, Jake, about 
these standards and things or these like journal articles or whatever being free or being freely available to people. Like this is definitely something that's starting to make that question more like it's, it's crazy to think that there are, cause we have this in engineering too, that there are standards organizations that are each standard is like $350, you know? And it's like, how does that make any sense? Like how, you know, <laughs> how is this standard? Um, we all have to follow that standard for safety reasons. You know what I mean? So like chemical plants don't explode. Why is that not available to chemical companies? <laughs> like, why do we have right. to pay, why are you pay right. for it? Right. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, and part of it though, from the other side of the table here, from the other perspective, it costs money to come up with those standards. It costs money to keep them in place. It costs money to enforce them. Right. But these and are government also, agencies. Right. No, no. I, well, and that's, I think, part of the larger question here is why haven't we been funding this stuff? <laughs> right? Like, like there seems to be there seems to be a need. Again, it's one of those, I think, kind of funny things where I hope that after this, we will reprioritize, I suppose. Do you know what I mean? God, I hope. Like, we yeah. probably we probably don't need. We probably don't need as much stringent control over um, some aspects of the economy, whereas others, it seems like we need more control. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, Like for the stuff that I do, it's like, I think that the one thing this has shown, at least me and my job is that when something like this happens, the federal government should be the ones that are distributing the emergency supplies. Well, actually, that's, the needed supplies. that's a question, I guess, for everyone. Um, why Just, weren't we prepared? Yeah. <laughs> why weren't we prepared? Like, why? Like, d- Jake? Like, no. <laughs> yeah, Jake, what the hell? What the hell, man? Why weren't we ready? Like, I mean, but... Yeah, I, I think you see now, like, I just read the whole big article on Crimson Contagion, right? Which was the red... The red team response to that they the federal government and private healthcare put forward about what happens. What what do we all collectively do when a huge incidence of something like this hits? What do we do, and how does it affect each and pretty much almost each and every portion of our lives? And then we've just sort of ignored that. Like, because I mean, I I do think we I think we knew that this was coming because everyone's like, well, there's just no way we could have predicted this. There's no way we could have known this. And I don't necessarily think, yeah, there's no way we could have known the exact details of it. But I think we had a pretty good idea that something like this was inevitable and there should be certain things in place to take care of that. I think, yeah, right. I, uh, no, I think I, it seems like considering the fact that we have been. Considering the fact that I myself know that I was worried about this since that stupid movie about the monkey who's carrying Ebola or whatever. What, like 28 days later? We should have freaking known. Well, even movies, like 28 days later yeah. or whatever. Like Should have known. I, I agree, Marie, completely. Because it seems like one of those crazy things where, like, pop culture knew this was going to happen. Oh, we've God, been pop making, culture's been warning us on we've this. We've been making movies about this since, like, the 80s. And even before that. You 70s. Know what I mean? Like, Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, yeah. Like, we knew, or we at least should have known. I think the thing that people, it seems like at least, and this is my own um, just view from watching the news and reading a lot about this and everything else. And, Jake, correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like the world of kind of 
medicine, biomedicine, virology, whatever, knew that something like this was a potential possibility eventually. However, it seems like everyone expected the response would be better at all levels. And I don't mean that to sound like it's an attack on any particular government or whatever, but it seems like, so to begin with, it seems like in a lot of cases here, we sort of took the assumption that people would be more mindful of other people around them. And in my mind, that is always a losing bet. And maybe I'm just cynical. That's it. No, no, no. I think, I think that that's it. Like I kind of think that we made the assumption that people would be good. I hate to say that. Like, I don't necessarily think that people are bad in this thing, but I think that when something like this happens, our first reaction is not necessarily how do we fix it for others upstream or downstream or no, what, what am I accountable for? It's like, oh my God, I'm going to buy every single can of Mountain Dew on the shelf. Yeah, no, it's clearly, the, our first right? instinct clearly is to hoard toilet paper <laughs> and, it is, go, and but, go on spring break. Yeah, I think... <laughs> I think a good amount of, of what we saw there was probably just driven by disbelief, right? And there was mm. just yeah. a sort of a hesitance to overreact, I suppose. And mm. and mm-hmm. then hindsight is twenty twenty, you know? Mm. I yeah, that's it's that is certainly I think a possibility. And and as this as this period of history gets written, um it's gonna be really interesting, I think, to see where like this sounds kind of really cold and I guess kind of separate from everything. And maybe that sounds terrible, but I'm actually really, I, I think it's going to be really fascinating to see which countries had really strong and, and positive responses to this mm-hmm. and which ones didn't have such good responses and then comparing and contrasting and seeing, and, and hopefully the world coming up with some best practices just in general, you know, it feels like a lot of the time for governments or for politics or for whatever to really change, it kind of takes a moment like this to kick everyone in the butt and be like, listen, all of that stuff is is fine and it sounds great on paper, but that's a stupid idea that doesn't work. You know what I mean? Like it didn't work. It killed a lot of people. And so we need to try something different. Absolutely. Yeah. It's really interesting the difference there between, I guess, the responses and the systems and how they worked and what didn't work and – I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think in our response and sort of working tangentially in healthcare and seeing it, I almost feel like we needed a more draconian take on this. Like there should have been almost, I, I, I can't believe like I, we're going to come out of this, you know, sounding really pretty cold, but um, that there should have been more of a clampdown on supplies and how do you distribute and how do you utilize and what is the, you know, and and even the communication kind of internally and what's, what is being put out versus what's not. I think that we could have done a much, we should have been much more stringent on it. And I even think that we should have had more of a government, like I said, a government mandate on manufacturing for this stuff. We should have enacted the, that whole wartime um, you know, the wartime production, even if it hasn't by the time this comes out, we should have done it much sooner because leaving anything up to a, um, a state or a county or a city or a mayor or a governor, 
you're just going to have a huge variance in response. There's no way that you're going to be able to, you know, get to the point that Jake was talking about where you're able to like keep people in one place away from other people unless you do it almost simultaneously or nationally. And that's what I feel like, man, I hope we can get to that stage yeah. on this without it being like a, a vast loss of civil rights and privacy <laughs> and all the other stuff that comes with that. But I really do like, I was explaining this to somebody and they were like, man, that is just some cold draconian bullshit you got coming out of your mouth. And I'm like, but how else can you do it? Like how you can't, you can't have people feel like they have, free will in a certain degree. Right. Cause I don't like, it's, you know, I, I get frustrated having to stay in my house all day. I get frustrated that, you know, I don't get to buy all the Mountain Dews off the shelf, but <laughs> that there's a good reason. And it's beyond my own civil liberties. At yeah, this it's, point. If we, yeah, I, I have responsibility, right. To the greater good. It's crazy. It is kind of really funny. I think to see the confused responses from like conspiracy theorists on Twitter and online. Where they're like, they're like, you know, for months they've been saying that, you know, um, one, the government was going to start rounding us up and keeping us in our homes and using martial (laughs) law and everything else. And then it starts happening and their first response is to go elbow some old lady in the face over the last (laughs) second toilet paper. You know, like it's, it's just, it is crazy how quickly, um, Again, it's like it's like that old quote of, you know, there are no um atheists in foxholes, right? Yep. There are there are no um anarchists during a pandemic. <laughs> you know, it's like one of those crazy things. Um so Jake, uh so what so in terms of your day job then, like what is it you actually do? So I work at a company in Cambridge, Mass, um and we we work on gene therapy viral gene therapy, which is using viruses to transport um, a genetic payload to patients with genetic diseases. And so we uh, create, we don't actually work in, you know, anything to do with viruses that are causing diseases out there now and how to prevent the diseases or treat them or anything like this. We just use viruses as our delivery tool to deliver our medicine. And so um, we work specifically on genetic disorders of the brain um, and the uh, CNS, the central nervous system. And so we are working on things like Parkinson's disease, Huntington's disease, Alzheimer's, etc. And so we use viruses to deliver um, the genetic sequence that your body is missing, right? Because these genetic diseases uh, are caused by a defect in the DNA. So you're either missing a base pair or something is wrong with a specific gene that prevents that gene from translating uh, a protein effectively. And so to treat diseases like that, you can either re-deliver that protein every day to a patient forever, or you can teach the patient's body how to start making that protein on its own. And so, um, in the case of Parkinson's, you are, a patient is missing the, um, protein that converts the, um, chemical precursor to dopamine into dopamine. And so, um, your brain is not receiving enough dopamine and eventually that causes, um, uh, non-regenerative damage to the, the regions of the brain. 
And so mm. we uh, develop a virus. The virus that we work on is called uh, an adeno-associated virus, or AAV. It is much, much smaller than this uh, coronavirus. So it is still a, um, an icosahedral. So it is still that, you know, 20-sided die in shape. But it is only 20 nanometers in diameter as opposed to 125. So we're, you know, one-sixth the size. And so the genome that mm. we have to work with is only mm. 2.4 um, kilobase pairs instead of 30. And so it's much smaller. Versus like 30, yeah. And so we take this virus that exists in nature and we rip out the um, uh, genes that it has inside and we replace it with the, the correct gene variant that we want to deliver to the patient, right? And so we will dose a patient's brain. We actually dose directly into the uh, putamen of the brain and we deliver these viruses that uh, inside, instead of having um, a genetic code that will drive infection and then replication and of more virus particles. Jesus. I didn't even know I had a Q-tamen. Now I'm upset. <laughs> Instead, it will, um, it will deliver the, uh, the code for this, um, protein that converts, um, the precursor to dopamine into dopamine and it will train your brain into start making dopamine again. That's Which is so insane. Yeah. It's That's so cool. That's so cool. Nuts. So what, uh, it's, it's, it's really, it's so ingenious that we kind of took this thing that viruses do mm-hmm. and we were pirating like, pirating them. Yeah. We were, we were like, Oh, pirating a man. we can do this for something. We can make this for something good. Right. It's like a firmware update for your brain. Almost. It truly is. It's, um, it's freaking yeah. crazy. And one, one really interesting part of it is the, the way that we produce these, um, Adeno associated viruses is, um, like a lot of biologic drugs, so drugs that the active ingredient is a protein, and so these can be monoclonal antibodies that a lot of big pharma makes, um, or fusion proteins, or um, peptides. There are a lot of different types of drugs where the active ingredient is actually a a biological entity or or a protein, really. Um, And these are made with cell culture processes, which is basically you take a big tank, uh, and you fill it with a sugary liquid, and you add a cell, and the cell takes the sugar in the liquid and uh, creates proteins, right? So it's actually the entire technology is taken from the uh, the beer and wine industry back in the, like, <laughs> 17 and 1800s. It's crazy. Where, you know, crazy. you, you add so yeast cool. to some sugar water, it eats the sugar, and it turns it into um, ethanol and carbon dioxide, and all of a sudden you have beer. We do something similar, and we take sugary liquid, we add cells, and we teach the cells to convert the sugar into this um, biological entity that we then isolate from the soup, and that becomes the, uh, the active ingredient in a drug. Cox, maybe that's what the folks in Kentucky buying all the Mountain Dew were actually trying to do. <laughs> Have you considered know. that? I don't know. Did you see that guy's, uh, you did you see that that? guy's rat tail? I don't think that's what they were trying to do. <laughs> Think, Are you saying that geniuses really, can't have rat hey, tails? I'm not saying I'm not saying mm-hmm. they can't. I'm saying that they often don't. <laughs> oh, I'm God. Saying. okay. Except for Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, I was gonna say, man, Jedi <laughs> Padawans have the uh, rat tails, so maybe these guys it. are all learning. Maybe uh-huh. I don't know. Well, the, he doesn't know anything about. Cells. I truly <laughs> do not. I truly do not. Him. We're gonna cut him the little slack. <laughs> I I texted Marie about. Padawan. I texted Marie about Ashoka being Rosario Ahsoka? Dawson. Her name is Azoka Azoka. Tano. Azoka. Yes. Okay, see, I don't even know the names. I have no idea. 
you know, know you the, like, the, light, the light swords and the yookies and the baby yadas and what what have you and all the, the yookies? star fleets. I'm just being a moron at this point. Jake, <laughs> star thank, thank you so much for coming on, man. It was so much fun. We we need to have more Jake Jake led biochemistry episodes, I think, because <laughs> more Jake. I can't believe how much I mean, I always like coming hitting hitting almost 30 years old right and like just thinking like you're a pretty well-rounded person generally like you feel like you know things about a lot of different things maybe you're not an expert in most things but you at least like have a general sense of stuff and then you talk to somebody who's actually like really well versed in a subject you know nothing about and it doesn't really matter for me if it's like biology or this this kind of uh, genetic engineering stuff or if it's archaeology or anything else i always walk away just being like i didn't know anything about that (laughs) at all you know and then for like for like a month that's all i'll read about so i'm um we're super grateful to have you on man grateful to have you edit out the show because yeah if Listeners, if you've heard episodes pre, you can. There's a marked difference between episodes pre Jake and post Jake. There's a very marked difference. So we are very lucky to have Jake uh, Super happy spending to his time doing this with us. Thanks, man. So, um, well, listeners, this has been the Mad Scientist Podcast. We hope this kind of coronavirus episode will be helpful in you understanding the news and just knowing more about this thing that's happening to all of us. Uh, hopefully, it won't. Hopefully it won't continue for much longer, but you know what? If it does, um, we love you all. Wash your hands. Wash Keep your washing hands. hands. We are Stay home. we are here. We're gonna keep making content and everything else, of course, for you. Uh, for patrons of the show, did want to let you know. So we have paused Patreon payouts basically until question mark. I guess you know if you have the money around that you'd want to donate to the show, we ask you to please go donate it to buy groceries for an elderly neighbor. Donate it to a food bank. Donate it to an animal shelter. Um, buy masks for a local hospital. You know, um, just do what you can for the people around you because uh, at this point, it seems like the best way that we're going to get over this is either removing all of our lungs, which seems like a non-starter based on the response I've gotten on the show today, um, or taking care of each other. So please take care of each other, and we'll be back next week with another episode. Thank you again, dear listeners, for listening to the Mad Scientist Podcast. I have been your host, Chris Cogswell, joined by my co-host, Marie Mayhew. If you'd like to contact the show, please send us an email at themadscientistpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter at MadScientistPod or at TeamGiantSquid for Marie. And of course, you can see us on Facebook, on Instagram, and all over the internet as the Mad Scientist Podcast. And again, our logo is the one with the pumpkin head, so it's easy to see. Mm-hmm. If you've enjoyed the show tonight, please consider supporting us on Patreon, where the money that you give to us will help us to promote this show further, to make it better, and just to spend more time making it. We love doing that. We do love doing that. Our logo was designed by Carrie Shaheen, our... Web design is done by Desdemona Howard. And our sound design is done by Jake Cardinal. Thanks again for listening. (laughs) Thank you. This has been a damn it chippy production. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. 
You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.